and welcome to the Library Talks podcast. This is a show where we talk about books and we talk the topics around books. We talk about topics that interest us and we talk about topics that we have a personal passion for. This is the literary podcast with literary titles that have a literal impact on our lives and yours. Thank you very much for joining me. I am your host, Josh, and with me in the virtual booth is Alfie. Say hello, Alfie. Hello. Brilliant. And we also have Steve. Say hello, Steve. Good afternoon. Brilliant. Hey, okay, so um, uh, I probably should have like addressed this before we start recording, but did you guys get snow over the weekend? Just asking. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in uh, up in Deptford in Lewisham and uh, we had a load of snow. Um, didn't stick around for too long, but um, it settled nicely. No, yeah, we got a, a little bit like in the morning. I'm in um, South London, Wimbledon. And, um, uh, yeah, it was... It was pretty, it was nice, you know, but I'm also like at the age where I'm a grumpy adult, where it kind of means that, oh God, if this stays around for too long, then I'm going to, uh, I want to go to the shops tomorrow. To be fair, I'm the same as well, Josh, but my, my girlfriend managed to drag me out and we had a bit of a, a snowball fight. Um, I, I live I live sort of Wimbledon area, the <laughs> same as you. So we had to like, yeah, we had a, a, a fair layer of it, but, um, but it was, it was enough. It was enough for a fight. So you know what I'm terrified of? I'm terrified of um, uh, when there is a little bit of snow and, yeah, I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, let's actually get a snowball together and let's, you know, chuck something around just to, like, feel that youthful verve again or whatever. <laughs> See, like, locking eyes of a kid across the street and then getting into a fight with, like, some random kid. And now me, an adult, getting into a fight with a kid in any situation, <laughs> snowballs or not, is not a good look. <laughs> it does take you, it does re- regress you back to your childhood again, though, you know, so which is... Yeah, I, I don't think I regressed enough because I enjoyed watching it come down out the window, but I didn't actually leave the flat all day. So, <laughs> no, you, you know, uh, you know, what you don't want as well when um, uh, when I actually did like decide to go. Okay, fine, I'm going to go to the shops like in the snow or whatever, um, carrying two big shopping bags and absolutely slipping and almost cracking my head open on like the, on the tarmac <laughs> or whatever. Um, I'll admit I was like, yeah, proper, proper chuckle brothers like me, um, <laughs> on the way to Sainsbury's, uh, cause it was really annoying where like, you can see, you, you can see like the snowy, like bit on the ground. You can see like the, the snowy slippery bit. And then you see like the bit of like pavement next to it and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to step on the non slippy looking bit, the pavement. And then that's when it goes, oh no, actually I'm way more slippery than you'd ever imagine. Slip 100, 180 degrees on my face. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, but we're not here to talk about snow all day long, are we? Uh, <laughs> we're here because um, I read a book uh, over summer now, so a couple like weeks, couple months ago. Um, Ayoade and Ayoade. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, Richard Ayoade's book, uh, a, cin- a Cinematic Odyssey. Uh, like what British Nigerian comedian Richard Ayoade uh, on all the panel shows, but also quite a uh, how do you want to say? Uh, uh, an inglorious director, <laughs> shall I say? He's an independent filmmaker, and he kind of has that filmic eye for a lot of uh, for a lot of life, as it turns out. Uh, and I know we're all like interested in um, like film, indie film, filmmaking, and kind of anything in that sort of world. So I thought he might make a good good uh, chat between us. Uh, he's written two books, uh, which I've. Uh, kind of read. So he's got Ayawadi on Ayawadi, a cinematic odyssey, and uh, Richard Ayawadi presents The Grip of Film, both books available uh, in Sutton Libraries. We all work for Sutton Library Service, Sutton Cultural Services, uh, which you can uh, reserve online. 
And um, yeah, yeah, these uh, it's a it's a weird book. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, like the the experience of reading it is surreal and difficult, <laughs> shall I say? Like uh, Iwadi and Iwadi, first of all, uh, written 2014. Uh, it it kind of lays out the book. Like imagine he's having an interview as a director and. He's directed a film, and that film is his own life. And not only is he the director being interviewed, but he's also the interviewee interviewing himself as a director, having narrated the film. Sounds complicated. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not exactly, because once you kind of get into like one or two pages of it, it it kind of makes sense. You can see what he's doing with it. Like for, for starters, he's laid out like the interview as if it's an interview. So like he's got like Iowadi colon ask question, then Iowadi colon gives answer mm. to question. But then also in different parts of the book, he kind of lays it out like a script with like stage directions and descriptions of what the actors are doing, like sitting in their chairs or whatever. Interior, exterior, d- describes the weather systems and all that. It's It's a really weird, like, and kind of quite indulgent writing exercise because basically he gets to talk about himself for <laughs> what uh, like 300, 400 pages, yeah. uh, but still make it seem like quite artistic and indie. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. I, I had a quick chance to sort of um, read the, the preview of it, um, which you can um, access uh, via Sutton Library's website. Um, and it, it sort of came across to me because... Um, it seems like he's he's got these two completely different personas. Uh, he, he has the the one that's the entertainer, uh, you know, on Channel Four. He he, he presents Crystal Maze. Uh, he does a lot of uh, uh, panel shows, like you said. <clears throat> and then there's this other side of him where he's he's uh, this independent film director, quite left uh, left field, you know. Um, and to me, when I when I read that preview, it kind of felt like it was the entertainer side of him was interviewing the left wing side of him uh in a sense i don't know if yeah that, I i've got the there's like just a bit there yeah yeah i kind of yeah i can see that uh because i can imagine like creatively for him uh the the thing that he's most known for the stuff that he's most known for uh, sort of like you know society in the world or whatever is all the comedy stuff the silly stuff the irreverent stuff or whatever whereas he seems like quite a uh, <laughs> kind of a slightly, you know, creatively ambitious but tortured soul in that way that he kind of just wants to. Uh, he's I, I got this quote from the book that uh, he says, "I believe a writer is someone who, in some small way, tries to set the world to rights." Where, yeah, he clearly wants to kind of like share a message or kind of like put ideas out there, and it kind of made me think like, what. Um, like I kind of think the the fav- the best indie films or the best films or narratives out there are the ones that pull from real life experiences and the ones that like kind of speak to real life issues and uh and like personalities and stuff like what do you think your favorite like films are your favorite like auteurs or directors that pull from the real life experiences and issues that they've obviously personally felt um it's interesting question i mean the t- my initial response to that would be that I'm someone who is quite uh, resistant to the idea of the author as a concept. Um, and it's something that I, it's not really a sort of, maybe we should explain what we mean by that, but um, 
auteur meaning like the um a director who has a kind of quite singular vision and that you could describe the film of an author as being the result of that vision and that their sort of aesthetic and their almost down to like yeah, sort of yeah, working that's, that's what i think yeah, yeah down to their kind of working practice kind of is the main uh driving force into what makes that film what it is yeah like wes anderson he has a look like quentin tarantino he has yeah. a style like exactly it's i think that's yeah. the, that's the key word isn't it it's, it's they they have their own style they each of their films are very much you you can if you weren't if you weren't told say for example the reservoir dogs was a quentin tarantino film but you you knew what a quentin tarantino film was and then you watch that movie, then you would be able to quintessentially know that that was a Tarantino movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, my kind of, as I say, I'm my reluctance to kind of subscribe to the term is like based on the fact that so much goes into the, the filmmaking process that isn't directly to do with the vision of one individual. Um, it is Absolutely. a sort of industrial product at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And auteur theory tends to be quite male-centric as well. Mm-hmm. Um but for, if you look at um, <laughs> yeah. if you look at Quentin Tarantino as an example, all of his films do have a recognisable style that you could identify. Um, but he's his sort of long time editorial collaborator, um, whose name I forget. She died a few years ago, um, and essentially his films that he's made since since she passed away um, have lost any semblance of kind of self control in terms of editing there's no there's no one saying no to him anymore whereas the films that were edited by his longtime collaborator she basically was able to say to him no like this this is getting too baggy this needs tightening up this needs cutting out completely so as much as you could you could describe him as an auteur because if he has a quite singular vision um the the changes in the teams that he works with do sort of greatly impact the content and quality of his work yeah, I, I heard a similar thing with um, uh, Martin Scorsese that he uses the same editor for like every single film he's ever made. And probably similar to, yeah, what you're saying, if she was to go, then yeah, <laughs> potentially like we'd lose whatever you call a Martin Scorsese film. Yeah, I mean, like, if you if you if you were to write a list of what made a Tarantino film or a Scorsese film theirs in style, I would argue that the majority of those points you would make would be to do with editing for uh, to use one example but then you're also saying like the juggernaut of just everything that goes into film like you know costume design and sound and like just all the different parts to it is also constituent also constituent parts that makes the final product and i guess if uh uh like yeah kind of you say the male focused um heads of project the directors that get like the bigger claim and ownership of these films if they probably use the same teams and because those same teams are going with them from film to film you think that is what we think of as an auteur experience like that group effort is that what you're saying yeah well the point i was making about this sort of industrial product is that it is that you know film is, a, is an industry um and I think it depends what kind of side of the argument you come down on, whether the key ingredient in a film's development is that someone has an idea, it's a strong idea, and they're able to push it through almost by the force of their own will, or is the thing that enables an ideas person to get that idea out there, a huge industry of of workers essentially making it possible for them to do so. And if you sort of agree with the latter, then the idea of auteur theory doesn't really 
hold up in, in in any sort of material way i don't think which i know is quite an annoying answer to your question but <laughs> well, well I, just, I mean, i'd like you to kind of squarely aim that statement at chris nolan <laughs> who like made tenet in the middle of a global pandemic and said yeah we should all go to the cinema for this <laughs> um, <laughs> i just like, i just like sort of um kind of uh, uh the argument um just slightly as well, Alfie. Um, I mean, I, I do understand the, your argument about uh, on big budget movies like that, but I think that's that kind of brings us then back to the importance of indie movies because I think uh, that idea of auto autoship um, does still exist um, in smaller made movies, the smaller run movies, um, where a director has a lot more control, and you know, you you, you get examples of of directors. Um, there's a female director whose name I can't um, I can't think right now, uh, and she's done she's done quite a few independent movies. Um, I'll, I'm have to Google it and say, but um, she, you know, they 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 take the role, they take the editing, they they take the the direction, they write the story, uh, the screenplay. You know, they 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 really do have. Uh, complete control of of what goes into that movie and you know the end product, and I think the authorship in that sense is still quite a real thing. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of um, think it might come down to a little bit like, do you think every single person like kind of has has something to offer, has their own unique view of the world, and has their own unique way of expressing themselves be it through film language or book language or music or whatever it might be because like if everyone does have their own uh, or can bring their own unique twist or specific viewpoint uh, on expressing a thing then the more control they have on making a film for example then yeah that can be that authorship that can be that unique view that they put out into their work yeah, I guess my my issues with it are as are with authorship as a sort of academic concept. But if you're talking about the literal meaning of authorship um, being the kind of singular vision of, a, of of one filmmaker, then it's certainly more, much, much more common uh, within in, well, within I, indie I films. I guess we're trying to we're trying to reconcile. Uh, yeah, like that idea of authorship that we're describing, and the logistics of actually creating, <laughs> like, yeah. a film, I guess. Uh, and when uh, Ayoade kind of describes making a film uh, in his book, he kind of goes through his uh, his governing rules for like writing and uh, and how he directs. And uh, like I said earlier about uh, believing a writer, so someone who wants to put the world to rights. He also says that um, like a film starts off with having a thought that you hope no one's ever had before and then planting the seed and then watching it grow, which kind of like really struck me. I used to um, or still do a little bit like work in film and kind of create videos and stuff. Um, and yeah, like that's really what it comes down to, like kind of coming up with something that you think no one's ever said before. You hope no one's ever said it before. There's probably a little Chinese kid somewhere that's thought of it a thousand different times in a thousand different ways and will execute it a thousand times better than you ever would. But at the very least in that moment of time, you think you're like unique in that. Um, and it kind of made me wonder like uh, how if you had to direct a film like what what themes or techniques or uh elements or real life experiences like would you put into it what do you think makes a good 
film in that regard. So, uh, do you mean if I was gonna if I was gonna direct a, like a big budget movie or um, uh, a, maybe a smaller independent movie? No, a smaller a, one. A smaller, a smaller one. Like one. That. Yeah, uh, I think it's. I mean, in that case, it's 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 always it would have to be something that's personal to you. Um, but you know the the sort of the style, kind of stylistic. I mean, I, I love the observational style um, of a lot of independent movies. Uh, one of my one of my uh, going back to you, you asked the, the last question was one of your what your favorite indie movies is. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Etu Mama Tambien, which is a, a kind of a foreign independent movie, Mexican. It's one of uh, Alfonso Cuarón's first movies. Um, oh, brilliant! Who, what, what what other people might know for Gravity and. Uh, uh, the other one I can't remember right now, but it's <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. Of films, uh, are yeah. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, um, but he, yeah, and and it's and I think it's it's this this kind of brings me to the idea of what Tipsy as well because I think he 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 kind of created uh, well not created but he took on the observational form uh, of cinema and he kind of elevated it to a new to a new style almost. Uh, in 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 the process of making it to Mama Zambia because it, it it really is uh, a observational piece not just about the characters that are in it but of of his country um, and you know uh, uh, and it's it's like it kind of it's it feels like a it's very it's a very sort of like personal journey for him and the characters mm-hmm. um, uh, but it it also sort of feels like a a, a grand landscape. Uh, of of where he of where he comes from, and you know, and if I if I could you know ever create a movie that's you know one small part as good as that, then I would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice! So, what actually happens in it? Is it like an autobiographical thing of his life? So, uh, it's uh, uh, he's never he's never admitted that it's uh, it's semi autobiographical, but you know, there <laughs> are obvious that it is. <laughs> Uh, it's about two two young guys, uh, rich guys, um, uh, and uh, it's about their sort of coming of age in a sense. Uh, they're very naive, young, um, but full of. Uh, I won't say the last word. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and they they kind of they li- they link up with uh, a married woman. Uh, who decides to go on a a road trip with them uh, across the country, uh, and it's about their sort of like sexual discovery with this young lady, and also uh, between themselves as well. And in the process, it it opens up uh, the uh, the divides um, the between uh, rich and poor um, in the country as well. Oh, no way. Yeah. It kind of uses their their the, the relationship uh between these two characters as a contrast between the relationship of rich and poor um uh, in in the, the country as a whole. That sounds like that's got so many sort of like layers and levels to it. It has, and... it has. And, uh, and the stylist the style uh, stylistic approach that he takes is like when I say it's observational, it's almost like uh it's a dream like float of the camera. Um, uh, and it, uh, as as they as they go as they travel through the the, the country and it and, and it as the way it follows the, the the car as it goes along the way it follows them as they're walking along and they're meeting uh, 
different people from all walks of life. It's 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 an unusual experience, but it's a very rewarding one, I think. Uh, give the name of the film again, just to the listeners. So it's it's uh, it's spelled very differently how, how it's pronounced, but it's called Et, Et Tu Mama Tambian. Um, it's Y uh, space T U space uh, Mama M A M A uh, Tambian. I think it's spelled T A M B I E N. Yeah, I recommend I mean, it. When... Anybody who hasn't seen it, I, de- I, def- I highly recommend it, especially if you like Alphonse Cuaron's uh, latter films as well. I mean, uh, yeah, when you're saying the bits about um, what two boys and their awakening with a, with a single woman, I can understand why Alphonse probably doesn't want to explicitly say this is a real-life event <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to him. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, yeah, Alfie, did you have any... Um, like themes or techniques or real life issues or whatever that you'd potentially like think would make a good indie film? Um, so I think my sort of first, my jumping off point would be um, once I'd sort of identified what issues and what themes I wanted to address, I would personally uh, n- never want to make a film that sort of deals with those things in a direct way. Um, so sort of th- those those themes aren't um, laid bare in the plot, but rather they're sort of suggested, um, in other ways, like an example, I guess would be, um, in speaking about independent films, like, well, I mean, Richard Iwadi, actually, if you look at the double, um, you know, he's talk, there's a, there's, there's a lot of themes in that film and you can make it on a quite a basic level about sort of, uh, modern alienation and like, um, disassociation um to do with your political realities there's also a lot of a lot in there about the sort of carl jung's shadow self and 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 that but that's all that's all uh contained within sort of the cinematography and the dialogue and the editing is there to kind of for you to draw that meaning out of it it's not hitting you over the head with it so something like the texas chainsaw massacre i think is a very good example actually because on the face of it it's just a slasher film um, or, or or the film that kind of wrote the blueprint for the, the modern slasher film. But there's so much in there about um, some similar themes, actually, about sort of late capitalism and industrialization and displacement of uh, the working class as a result of, of, of hyper-industrialization. Um, there's all sorts of sort of... Um, uh, sort of national insecurities following the Vietnam War and the destruction of a generation of young Americans and, and all of this stuff is in there and it's in there on purpose um, but you have to kind of draw it out yourself and I feel like something that just hits you over the head with it says this is what this film is about I don't find it as satisfying experience I mean I remember and I'm, I'll probably get abuse for saying this but when um, I Daniel Blake came out and everyone was sort of raving about that. And I knew what it was about and the issues that it dealt with. And I thought this sounds right up my street in terms of the themes of the film. And I watched it and I, just, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was just, I just found it was just sitting there saying, to, this is what this film is about. This is bad. This person is good. Um, and it, there was no sort of subtext. It was all on the surface. It was just almost... I mean, it's sort of hyper-realistic, done like almost shot like a documentary, just saying this is this is a reality and this is our opinion on it. And I just didn't think it was satisfying. And like even I found it even patronizing to the people that it was trying to advocate for because 
it kind of uh really doubled down on this idea of the kind of um every sort of put upon member of the working class being this sort of noble um put upon figure like the main character he's just sort of very softly spoken and when he's not having trouble at the job center he sat in his flat like carving things out of wood it's just like it's just so it's so one note like oh all all of these kind of and it's almost it it wasn't brave enough to show a three-dimensional character and just and just trust in itself enough that the audience can derive meaning without you basically laying out exactly what the film is saying um and i found that frustrating again i'm in a minority of one on that film i understand but um yes i i'm much more drawn to something that has all of the subtext of something like texas chainsaw massacre or george romero's dawn of the dead um you know something that can appear to be one thing on the surface but actually has has a huge amount of subtext uh that that sort of warrants repeat watches i'm not sure you'd get any added meaning on a second and third watch of i daniel blake yeah you know i can actually i can actually agree with you on that one about uh i can, I can understand when there's when you get it and there's a next level like feeling of oh i get what i get what this film means yeah yeah and there's that kind of secondary audience appreciation uh of actually like understanding something a little bit deeper than just what's on the surface of you know the slashing happening on screen there's actually like a deep socio-political message about it uh, that oh i get it moment yeah that's that's really positive and i can understand that and actually like made me like while you're talking about that um realize uh, or at least i never thought i'd ever make this comparison but have you ever listened to the outcast song hey ya of course <laughs> if you actually read through the lyrics it's actually a really sad song <laughs> when you think about it and it's something like my brother made me um ping onto like a little while ago and i was like like there's a lyric in there that uh it goes uh uh, if what they say is nothing is forever, then what makes and what makes and what makes love the exception? Like what makes love the exception if nothing is forever? Are we in denial when we know we're not happy here? That's actually a really mournful, like, uh, uh, like Wordsworth poem lyric. It's <laughs> it's like really really sad. But then, you know, on the surface of it, it's just like really really like happy, cheery, go lucky song. But then when you actually like look through that feeling of oh, right, they're actually talking about this. And they've intentionally kind of done that uh, kind of switch around of music to kind of make you go one way and then actually undercuts it another way. Like, I think that's that feeling that you're kind of describing, Alfie, that, um, yeah, there's a there's a deeper significance, there's a deeper feeling impact that you kind of get with that. Some indie films can do and some blockbuster films technically can do, but, but that's, not the, that's not the mainstream, I guess, like that. Yeah, I think I think like blockbuster films. I mean, you do get some rewarding ones, but I think the the way blockbuster films do it now is is with the twist. Yeah, at the end that is the that is the deep and meaningful uh, blockbuster um, sort of trope now. I think, uh, but no, I, I completely agree with with Alfie. Where you know, and and uh, I think we've spoken about this this movie before uh, uh, when when we when ages ago when we worked together um but the film parasite is another great fantastic example film. of this uh yeah absolutely incredible film and deserve fully deserve of uh, of all the accolades it got uh and it's it's you know it's on the surface it's a it's a home invasion movie <laughs> um uh well not, <laughs> 
when I say home invasion, movie, invasion. Yeah, I mean, the home invasion movie with the with the with the people not there at that time, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's but it's 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 sly with its yeah um, with its imagery and its uh, and its sort of like focus on you know what the real issue is, um, and I, I think what really sort of summed up for me was the uh, the the scene uh, where they the the family uh, are scurrying back. Uh, to to their own home after being yeah. discovered um, in the family in the in the rich family's home uh, and and it's kind of like you know this uh, uh, analogy almost uh, uh, so no it's a metaphor sorry I think more than an analogy uh, of of insects being washed back down to the to the sort of like base um, area of the city because you know as the, as the water gets heavier and heavier the rain gets heavier and heavier uh and they're like they're literally being washed down slope um into uh you know where uh they are they've been downtrodden to yeah um, in yeah a they, they really are yeah I, th- I think that's a perfect example actually um and i think parasite is a perfect film essentially yeah, it is, isn't <laughs> as, it? Yeah, as absolutely. much as, as possible as that is <laughs> and like the the sequence that you talked about there is always the one that i think about when i think about the way in which the film sort of makes makes the point that it makes and it's every i mean every single thing in that film through the cinematography um the screenplay and the editing is making a point um and there's sometimes it's sort of fairly obvious like they're talking about the the class divide through showing people physically on different levels and kind of in the scene that you you said they're kind of washed back into the slums essentially um and it and you know there's horror in there there's comedy in there um and everything sort of in the frame is there for a reason and like even the final or not quite the final scene at the garden party the fact that they're dressed as sort of cowboys and indians (laughs) you know it's it's got so much to say and i just think if that film had been uh directed by ken loach it would have just been an hour and a half of them in their in in their small flat sort of explaining to each other how poor they are i mean uh i it never occurred to me yeah the um the flooding of their you know flat apartment house like at the end that that's what that imagery kind of is and yeah you are so right there actually that's oh that's really over my eyes and um parasite was the last one i managed to see in cinemas before the initial lockdown in like march 2020 so same yeah, yeah. same here so, um, yeah. you know if, if i was to go out on cinemas just totally i'm i'm glad that was the last one because uh yeah i am totally <laughs> on. and um uh, well you brought up uh like it won a bunch of accolades so i've got this little bit of a quote from uh from richard ayoade's the second but the gripper film that which kind of works like a um uh, uh, an alphabet almost of uh, of just mainstream film terms and in the a section is awards and he's kind of got this bit that i wanted to say on on mike um where he goes at each award ceremony people are nominated for various awards not all of them will be winners in general only 20 percent of those nominated go on to win that's an 80 percent failure rate and most failures attend these award ceremonies, hubristically ignorant of their, inaccur- of their inadequacy, nestled alongside their betters as if there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them. So uh, <laughs> that, I thought, was a lovely uh, summation of just the entire awards <laughs> academy sort of like system. That, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of backpacking, uh, a lot of back patting, uh, even though fundamentally that like more people lose than win and we're all supposed to act like that's fine i also wanted to um like ask about uh uh richard iwadi throughout the 
the first book, Iwadi and Iwadi, a cinematic odyssey, kind of comes back to this idea that um, uh, life is actually a narrative. Like, obviously, like I explained with the basic premise where he's interviewing himself and he um, reviews his life as if it's a film and is like doing this interview in that uh, way. It, yeah, he's talking about like, yeah, like, you know, how humans tend to think in narratives and how the news is reported with as like a story with like a beginning, an ending, good guys, bad guys, and social media are all filming ourselves all the time. Like, how much do you think that's actually like true? How much has life become like a film? Well, I've been thinking about this and uh, you might, you have to stay with me Strap on this one, voice. but I think <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think it's more accurate to, to, to flip that round and say that film is becoming more like life. And what I mean by that is that typically the way film functions is more in line with um, dreams, right? Rather than our actual experience of real life, the, the way that editing can sort of stitch together disparate images and, and events in a way that we, we can't experience in our lives. Um, and there's, there's, there's a whole kind of school of thought about like, well, uh, phenomenology, talking about the way that audiences experience film. And typically film does um, function more similar to a dream. Um, so, but modern sort of access to film and TV on demand and very sort of red, well, widespread access to video camera and editing software, I guess, with smartphones and stuff like that, um, I think has led to a increased pursuit of realism um, in media in general. So I think that if you look at the way that TV series are made now, um, almost all of them, each episode, one episode runs directly into the next um there's there's less of an emphasis on the each episode being a standalone piece and whatever you missed in the intervening time period is up to you to kind of make up and all, that's almost a dreamlike idea that you're dropped into this narrative at different points and you stitch together what's happened in between now it's more like this is where we left the characters and this is where we find them again and that's that's increased because of streaming um and the most successful films at the moment utilize sort of hyper-realistic editing techniques, even like blockbusters with fantastical settings. The way they're shot is very naturalistic. The way the conversations are shot, it's very sort of shoulder, over the shoulder, shot for shot. Um, and there's, I don't know, there's this sort of increasing emphasis on people finding plot holes in the narrative, which I really think is quite misguided and misses the point of what a film is there to do. Um, and even the increased use of digital technology is used now to simulate reality, right? So I think that rather than life becoming like a film, I think the increased demand for realism and sort of watertight narrative and logic has then bled into mainstream film. And I think now films that aren't taking risks seek to recreate a realist aesthetic as much as they can, even if they're not set in a realistic yeah, environment I think yeah i think there's a lot of kind of like truth in what you say i mean when you thought when you first of all made the point about um it feels like dreams or at least yeah kind of films taken on that kind of dreamlike quality um i don't remember my dreams so uh <laughs> uh 
like to say like yeah i don't remember a film <laughs> would be like uh would be completely untrue but then yeah when you later went on and said the idea of okay we're starting in a just this nebulous place and then we end at a kind of at a conclusion but then the time in between installments you just kind of like fill that in yourself like yeah that actually rings true um but i would go as far as to still bring it back to the kind of life emulating film because i feel like people do the whole we do uh like narratives and we do like a start and an end to things and there's that kind of resolution and conclusion uh i, I feel like people do seek that like in life in uh you know like new year's resolutions or whatever like i'm gonna hit this goal and then when i get to this place i'm gonna be like happy you know uh, happily ever after or whatever or uh people kind of yeah you know hit their uh, uh um like yeah life goals or whatever or uh uh, uh, employment goals or whatever and people want that feeling of and I'm done and I'm finished and roll credits I'm just going to be a happy old man or woman or whatever I mean, Steve where are you on that yeah I I can I kind of get that because I think that's that's sort of how we because the way we view the way we view things has, has changed now as well uh, obviously uh, Alfie mentioned the streaming services and how we how we use like a few TV series, how we view movies, uh, but I think especially television series because we tend to binge watch now. Uh, I think that's the difference between now and and uh, and sort of how we watch things in the past. Uh, I mean, I remember. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a time when you had to wait a week for the next <laughs> episode of something rather than. Rather than the two seconds it takes for you to like flick flick to the next episode on your on the Netflix, <laughs> but um, but I think that and in a sense that is why um, and I think I agree with Alfie on on that point that that is why how TV shows are are created now and I think that's why it's it go it's it's changed from an like an episodic episodic nature uh, into uh, a, like a long narrative um, uh, over the series. Uh, and not just in in one series as well, a long narrative that will just like develop over a whole uh, number of series as well. Um, I think, I mean, you could mention you can mention any number of TV series. I, I can't think of any TV series now that is episodic. I think if if somebody made an episodic TV series now, then that would be kind of left wing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It would be a little bit um, sort of like <laughs> niche and uh, like underground or whatever. Because uh, I imagine it's, yeah. uh, or maybe even um, like retro or whatever. It, it might feel like, oh, you're doing things it would be the old yeah, way. It would be retro, we don't do yeah. things like uh, that it's, it's quite funny, actually, because um, my girlfriend was, uh, she just, just, just to, um, she was just passing the time. She put on the, a new Jurassic Park kids TV show oh, okay. on Netflix. Uh, expect expecting it to be you know um, like a different episode every, every time, but even that was a long narrative over eight episodes of <laughs> um, sure and that's something you you know as 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 a children's program you wouldn't even like imagined <laughs> well, yeah, happening. Did- like even about a year ago, probably. The kids even have the attendance span. But then a, I think for a plot over eight half hours. Well, no, well, yeah, exactly. But I think I think that's why you know it, the times are changing in, in that sort of sense as well. Like kids, kids are essentially growing up faster because of the technology we have. Um, and, you know, the, the the forms of being able to watch things um, have grown exponentially. 
um, you know, tablets, phones, uh, what's next, who knows. But, um, uh, but I think the, so go back to my original point, which I can, I've lost the track of a little bit. Um, <laughs> the uh, Being able to binge watch uh, entire series uh, in a sense uh, um, is, and it, it kind of links with your, uh, what you were saying, Josh, about people having, wanting that beginning and wanting that, uh, you know that storyline to go through and then having that ending and i think uh, i'm guilty of as well sometimes i will go through what i want to watch next and i think well I'll, I'll watch this next because i know that's finished like that's the whole as a whole whole encompassing series because i know i start if i start to watch that then it will have an ending whereas a lot of series now i find um especially in this day and age you know uh, a series will get two series in uh but then get cancelled and then it won't go any further. So there's this there's this feeling of of not of not it not being yeah. completed. There is no um, greater pain. <laughs> uh, and then that's and there's no greater pain than that. Yeah, and it's, and and that kind of connects with what Alfie was saying about um, it being very dreamlike um, sometimes, uh, and how the you know the the nature of like TV series and uh, and not so much sort of films in this sense, but TV series I think um, are very much dreamlike because. They they don't have an ending. They don't have a, they have they do have a beginning, but they don't have an ending. So you know sometimes when you you wake up halfway through a dream, you know you're rudely interrupted. You're really woken up, um, you know, by your alarm clock going off. Say for example, and I think that's how that can connect as well because that's that's a bit like a TV series being cancelled before it's before it's meant to be finished. It's like being rudely awakened from a dream. Wow. Yeah, that's really true. In a sense. That is really, really um, true. But yeah, uh, but I think movies are slightly different. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> going on a lot here. But uh, also, what I, what I really like about streaming services now is they are they have started to embrace independent filmmaking, and they are really helping to to put that out there as well. Uh, because they don't really get the cinema time that they they need, especially at the moment. Um, nothing's getting cinema time, unfortunately. But you know, streaming services like Netflix and Amazon, uh, and I think Apple uh, are, are producing their own movies now as well. Uh, and you know, they're giving independent movie makers the ability to to get their story, get their stories heard, and you know, the, to and to, to people to see them as well. Um, that the kind of new yeah. technology has uh, given, yeah. yeah, independence that ability to make that punt for things that bigger studios, production companies wouldn't. Sorry, Alfie was going to say something. Oh, uh, well, just that. And um, uh, just to kind of reiterate like what, Steve, you were saying about TV shows, uh, it is so true that the part of the reasoning what makes me start a new TV show or not is whether or I know that it's got a conclusion or not. Like, that is... Uh, like, there are so many TV shows that I've started and I'm not really having that much fun with it, but then I go, oh, but there's only two series left and I know I can do that and I, I know I'm chasing that conclusion feeling. So, yeah, I'll just, like, carry on, like, not having that good a time for another 26 more episodes or however long it is. Um, yeah, that is, like, so true. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of uh, of movie-making over, over uh, sort of TV series, watching a movie over watching a TV series. Uh, is that a movie is a, a finite thing? Uh, it's an all-encompassing being. It's only a certain amount of time watching one go, like in our busy, busy lives, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a maximum 
three, three and a half hours, depending on, <laughs> depending on if you might score Scorsese or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The extended edition of the Lord of the Rings or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, and, and I think that's why uh, like film, filmmaking will never die. I think uh, there will always be space in the world for, for movies uh, and for, and for that for that shortened uh... Hmm. Uh, so kind of related to what I was just saying uh, do you guys have any recommendations for where you can find like good films watch good indie films or anything like that well I was just going to say I mean there's I do think that it's sort of like you said it's easier now than ever probably to access a pretty wide range of, of stuff um, and there is I think I think it's probably fair to say that most of it now is subscription based. Um, so without making a distinction on whether you'd pay for pay for pay for it or not, I think um, one of the best places for independent films I would say is the Curzon Home Cinema. Um, they stream. Uh, I mean, most most of the stuff that they have on theatrical release goes up there. I think usually simultaneously, um, and there's a not huge, but um, sizable sort of library of other stuff. And it's it's all, I would say, at least worth worth a watch. Um, a lot of independent stuff on there. Um, and there's also, there's an increase now in platforms that are basically mainly um, kind of showcasing films and filmmakers who basically wouldn't have been given the opportunity to even make the film in the first place, like with... Um, well, Netflix Originals is, is a kind of an example, but they tend to work with more established filmmakers. But if you look at something like Shudder, the um, horror uh, streaming platform, which has some really good stuff on there, some really sort of old sort of classic horror films, um, but then they have a loads loads of um, Shudder Originals as well. Um, so films that have essentially been made as a Shudder movie, which probably wouldn't have got made or at least wouldn't have had the funding um, without that platform. And... Um, I mean, they're obviously uh, of varying quality, but the fact that these people are getting the opportunity to make their films is a good thing. And uh, most of the ones I've watched, um, you know, have at least something to recommend about them, even if they're a, an ambitious failure. <laughs> yeah. At least they're ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> at least they're trying something. <laughs> at the very least, something different. Something exactly. Different. Yeah. Uh, okay. In which case, yeah. uh, unless you had anything else to add, Steve? I was just uh, sorry. I was, I was just going to add. So, um, on top of that as well, if uh, I mean, if British independent film is your is your thing, uh, then BFI is a great source at the moment. Uh, while cinemas are closed to, to access uh, some some absolutely corkers of, of independent British movies, uh, and also I, I I just saw I saw an advert the other day on TV that Britbox uh, has got all of the Film Four uh, back catalogue now as well. Uh, which is that's a big acquisition. Um, which you know, a lot of gems in there as well. So yeah. oh, brilliant! So uh, you've got our recommendations. Let us know, audience, uh, what your favourites of indie films are and where to watch them. And uh, also, let us know. To Steve's point earlier, um, do you think kids have the attention span to watch eight episodes of Jurassic Park? Because uh, <laughs> I'd be really interested to know about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one's gonna haunt me now. Isn't it? <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to uh, wrap things up. You've uh, heard recommendations on uh, IORD and IORD, a cinematic odyssey, um, and 
uh, Richard Ayoade's The Gripper Film, uh, both books available from uh, Sutton Libraries. Go to uh, sutton.gov.uk slash cultural services to browse all our wares. And also follow us on Twitter at Sutton Libraries, as well as uh, Facebook and Instagram, which is at Sutton Libraries London. And uh, thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alfie, for putting all of this together and making it sound so beautiful in your ears right now. My pleasure. Uh, you have been listening to the Library Talks podcast. I've been Josh, joined by Alfie and Steve. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Bye.